I did have a lot of imposter syndrome with my internship. With my internship, I had a small group. It was about 10 of us, and I was the only undergrad student in my internship. So I had, you know, PhD students and master's students, and I was the, very much the youngest person in there. So I was just like, mm, like, are you, I, I was very scared. But over time, I got, you know, very comfortable with my team. We learned a lot about each other, and that atmosphere was very comforting and just inclusive. And I feel like that's what makes or breaks the imposter syndrome, and that really broke down the wall for me. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Vecina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Hello, and welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. My name is Kaida Jesus, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm talking to Katie Dorer, the head of strategic communications for the Vecina Leadership Institute. She's also a volunteer firefighter and a former Girl Scout. Last semester, she worked as an intern with the U.S. Department of State. Her other endeavors include the Diplomatic Envoy. My first question is, what got you into the Pasina Leadership Institute? Yeah, so I grew up with a family of first responders. So early on, I was introduced to what servant leadership is, you know, working with a team, building camaraderie. And I just saw my parents, you know, like sacrifice their life in order to help other people. And that really, when I was little, reinforced those leadership skills for me. And when I came to Seton Hall, I was sent the email to apply for the Leadership Institute, and I didn't really know too much about it. But once I started researching more about it, I really thought it would be very beneficial for my career path and just education. So I applied, and I obviously got accepted. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. So you use the term servant leadership, which I thought was just like a Seton Hall thing, but (laughs) apparently it's not. When did you first hear about servant leadership? And how did you, like, apply it to your own life? Since it seems like it's something that resonates with you. Actually, the same way, when I came to Seton Hall, I didn't really know the term before servant leadership. But when I came to Seton Hall, they very much so called servant leadership. At the firehouse, we just call it leadership. But when I look about leadership, it's about, you know, sacrificing, being selfless, and just serving others, serving the community, and... That really just resonated with me because we're a volunteer firefighter company and we don't get paid. We aren't like funded by the state or any of that. So we just do what we do and we use our own money. We use our own time. And when I came to Seton Hall, that's what servant leadership here is too. It's about helping the community, helping those that can't help themselves. And so I learned about the term servant leadership. And when I came back home, you know, during the breaks, I would tell my family, I would tell, you know, other firefighters, hey, this is actually called servant leadership. (laughs) Like, we just might think it's, oh, firefighter, like, leadership or just service. I'm glad that you brought up that you are a volunteer firefighter because I noticed that you're a volunteer firefighter. You also had experience with the Girl Scouts before entering college. Talk about those experiences. And if you came away from these parts of your life with certain lessons that you've now used here. My father has been a firefighter for over 30 years. And so I grew up a toddler. You know, I took my first steps in the firefighter company house. So 
I just grew up with that, and I didn't really think anything of it. I just thought that's how people act. That's how people, you know, are born with those leadership instincts. So when I came to Seton Hall uh, with Dean Price at the time, teaching that, I already knew those fundamental aspects of leadership. You know, with Dean Price, he has the background in the military, and military in the firefighter realm is very similar. So I really enjoyed Dean Price's lectures and learning servant leadership through the firefighter company and through Girl Scouts and all the other volunteer efforts that I did in my hometown. It really inspired me to want to study diplomacy because obviously the 9-11 attacks were very horrific. And though I was not born in 2001, I was born after it really impacted my family. My father was not at Ground Zero at the time, but he was still an active firefighter. So it really made me interested in studying politics and how different nations interact and what makes people want to perform conflict and just those terrorist attacks. So coming into leadership, it's really impacted the way that I see how groups form and I see how groups lead. You know, leaders, whether they're good or not, they're leaders, and they both have different styles, and learning those styles helps you understand their thought process. So you've laid out sort of this interesting timeline for me. Obviously, you were born after 9-11. However, your parents were on some level affected by it because firefighters were a big part of it. But also, the 9-11 trip traditionally happens after you get into the Institute, but that's usually when you decide to get into into the cohort of diplomacy So I want to know, like, so on what level did 9-11 influence your decision to get into this field that you're in now, diplomacy and international relations, or did it retroactively strengthen that interest? Yeah, so coming to Seton Hall as a freshman, I didn't really know what area or foci that I wanted in diplomacy. I knew I just wanted to study diplomacy, but... Through the 9-11 trips that we took freshman year in the, within the Leadership Institute and also just with my studies, with the classes that I took that were diplomacy electives, I really fell in love with studying conflict development, how civil conflicts affect international politics, and just really studying the brain of someone who commits violence. I grew up watching Law & Order, all those SVU shows, my mom, that's what played in my household. So I also had a love for just criminal aspect. Seton Hall was the only place that I applied as an international relations major. All the other places I applied as a forensic scientist. Mm. So I was really interested in studying that aspect of crime. But when I came to Seton Hall, I knew that I could integrate that through just studying strategic communications, counterterrorism, and just civil conflict and development. Professor Huddleston, he teaches a class in international conflict and security, and that moment was when I realized that I wanted to study civil conflict and development. That's really interesting yeah. because like, I'm also interested in communications but was previously interested in being a forensic scientist, and I would love to know when that shift happened from studying to communicating about them. Yeah, so I have no background in communications Though I hold many roles on campus with communications, like within the Institute, I'm the director of strategic communications, diplomatic envoy, which is the international newspaper for the school of diplomacy. I'm the communications liaison and 
for the Undergraduate Diplomacy Student Association, I'm their social media coordinator. I have no prior background in any of those. I never studied any classes with them. But Dean Halpin saw something in me and offered me the job position for the Director of Strategic Communications. So I knew that she saw that potential in me. I'm someone who really has to face imposter syndrome. I suffer, I don't want to say suffer from it because you shouldn't suffer from imposter syndrome, but I have the times of times where I don't think that I should be where I am. So she has really helped me with that. And through strategic communications, learning how to communicate, you know, how to exemplify a brand's mission, I wanted to integrate that with diplomacy also. And the way that I think I want to have my career path in is strategic communications for defense, which basically outlining how they communicate with one another internationally, how if you have one slip up through one person saying one thing, how that's going to cause mass chaos. And I really think that our national security needs to be understood by the people that are living in the country. So I hope somehow within my future career, that I will be able to have that strategic communications plan for foreign defense and foreign policy. What differentiates plain old communication from strategic communication? For me, coming to Seton Hall, I more so thought communications would be, you know, marketing, broadcasting, doing podcasts, just exemplifying your brand's mission or a product that you have or film, photography. To me, that's what I thought communications was, but learning more into it, it's a whole realm. There's very many aspects of it. I feel like communications is such an umbrella term that you can just have many different foci in it. So for me, my focus then would be just how to explore different paths and how the way that you convey it may sway decision makers whether or not they're going to want to vote on a bill or not or whether or not they're going to send troops to a nation so you got to communicate that properly even within diplomacy we speak a lot in diplomacy you you speak to your citizens your constituents and you got to make sure you're confident in what you're saying otherwise they're not going to support you so with strategic communications here I exemplify the Institute's brand mission. I run their social media accounts. I follow all the students and just highlight what they're doing. That is communications, but I'm learning that through them. I have never taken a communications class, really, so I'm learning that through my work. But then what I'm learning through my work, I'm going to apply towards my career. And I think that's really impactful is the the hands-on aspect of communications. Like, you have to do your job and what you learn from your job, you can exemplify anywhere else. Yeah, speaking of, because, like, I'm, I also have this position within the Senior Leadership Institute, and something that I know about me jumping into the podcast position is, obviously, they give you support, but they kind of just trust you to, like, do whatever. And, like, it's kind of hard not to be filled with imposter syndrome because, like, I know I started the job when I was, like, 19, 20, and it's like, oh, you just trust me to do this now. It's my first thing. Walk me through this experience. I believe this is the end of your first semester doing the job. Is that correct? Yeah, so our previous director of strategic communications, Sophie, she graduated early, so she graduated in December. And I would say a couple weeks before she graduated, Dean Halpin asked me if I was interested in this position. And I was like, oh, like I, 
Yeah, I was part of the strategic communications team, so I have a general understanding of the day-to-day of it. So I was like, oh, sure, like, I'll be interested. Like, I'll want to learn more. So I shadowed Sophie a couple weeks before she graduated, and then Dean Halpin offered me in the position. And I was like, okay, like, yes, I want it, but then also I'm very afraid. I'm not too sure I have what it takes to fulfill and to exceed expectations, but that was just the imposter syndrome speaking, I feel like. I'm very comfortable now with what I do, and I just really enjoy it. I feel like you've got to have a passion for what you do, and if you're not passionate about it, then that's not going to show through your work. I'm so curious, like, compared to the podcast, which posts, like, once a week, you post, if not every day, most of the days, do you, like, distrust what you put out, or do you, like, not think about it? How do you grapple with, I I worked in social media, so I know the, I kind of know the struggle. How do you get past all this content that you are not sure is perfect, but you have to get it out? Getting it out is better than not posting at all. Like, how do you go through that, I guess? Yeah, so, luckily, uh... Every Friday we have a student takeover, or at least we try every Friday to have a student takeover. And another diplomacy student, Sophie, she's currently in France right now studying abroad, but she handles that aspect of telling the students what they need to do in order to do the takeover. So I have help from her, which I'm very grateful for. But yeah, it is kind of hectic sometimes having to have five to six posts every week. But I feel like you shouldn't stress too much on it. Yeah, there's some days that I don't post every single day because I'd rather have quality over quantity, you know? So currently we had, you know, the IDT presentations are coming up. We had the World Change Makers presentation panel. That was the day before. So usually when there's a lot of events, it will be easier to add posts because I'll take photos there and then I'll just upload them and then I'll just bring them on Instagram. But also... Dean Halpin and Stacia, they're very helpful as well, sending me articles of what students do. So I'll research that. I'll, you know, send them an email, ask them some questions, and then highlight them, which is... I also want to bring attention to the fact that last fall, you also got an internship with the U.S. Department of State. And I want to, like, it's just, like, such a high-pressure situation to be interviewing and then getting it. Bring us through that process. How did you go from, oh, click apply, I'll send my resume, to, oh, I'll accept this job offer? I was sitting in my kitchen. It was the summer, so I was probably either July or early August, and I got an email from Dean Sanjamino, who works in the School of Diplomacy, and her, along with Dr. Edwards, give us internship opportunities, you know, reminders like, hey, this application's due, blah, blah, blah. And I saw one for a federal internship study with the USA Jobs, that was the website that they had. And I was like, oh, like, let's look at it. Like, if I don't get one, I don't get one. I'm only in my third semester of college. And it's not really not heard of to get it so early. But in our curriculum, you're supposed to have an internship your junior year. So it's like, okay, like, if I don't get it, it's whatever. But I wanted to apply, you know, get your name out there. Like, I'd rather be rejected than have those what ifs. Mm -hmm. So I maybe spent an hour or a little more than an hour on that application process and I hit submit and I kind of not forgot about it, but I didn't hear that I got accepted until ad drop week of our first semester in September. So I heard very late that I got accepted, 
But I was very grateful and very shocked, to say the least, like, with the United States State Department. Like, that's a big deal in the diplomacy realm. You're working with the government, and I'm given this security clearance and just... You know, they just give me this data and, like, these confidential records and files, and they just give it to me. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> not like I'm not going to breach national security or any of that. But, like, I, w- I was 19 at the time. I'm not even in my third semester. I'm practically just starting it. But it very much impacted my learning style, and I made a lot of connections through it, and I'm very grateful for it. So it seems like between being director of STRATCOM and then being an intern at the U.S. Department of State, you're in these situations where it's like, oh, I'm just going to go and do it. Oh, wait, now I'm being given like a lot of responsibility. So is imposter syndrome something that you think goes away after a while? Or is it something that you just have to continually deal with and just remind yourself that like you're fit to be in this job? I wouldn't say that I suffer consecutively with imposter syndrome it's more so either the topics or roles or just an event that I'm like should I even be here like even am I even qualified to be here but you got you just got to think that everybody in that room was in the same position as you were at some time they most likely had imposter syndrome at that point too and it's a growing experience. It's a learning experience. Like, how else are we going to learn and see how the professionals work on a day-to-day basis without being with them? And for me, I did have a lot of imposter syndrome with my internship. With my internship, I had a small group. It was about 10 of us, and I was the only undergrad student in my internship. So I had, you know, PhD students and master's students and I was very much the youngest person in there so I was just like "Mm, like are you I I was very scared but over time I got you know very comfortable with my team we learned a lot about each other and the atmosphere was very comforting and just inclusive and I feel like that's what makes or breaks the imposter syndrome and that really broke down the wall for me. I'm curious, what helped you break down that imposter syndrome? Was it you just like completing stuff or did you get support from people that you worked with? How did you get over that? Yeah, so with my internship, along with the work that I was doing with the State Department, every other Friday we would have a meeting and our boss would bring in these foreign service officers, obviously it was virtual because they had posts in China and England. I remember we were speaking to this one foreign service officer in England and they would just like be very one-on-one with us about their experience. You know, they're honest to an extent what they can share about their life, about how you have to move almost every two to three years. You're not in one place for a very long time. Like you'll get an email saying, oh, now you got to go to a different country and you've got to learn a new language. And it's hard sometimes, but they're very, very honest. And with answering all of our questions, I still have contacts with them. And just hearing it from them that it will be okay, that you just got to get through that hurdle of imposter syndrome and just be confident in yourself. That was something that I lacked before coming to college was confidence academically. And now that I'm here, now that I have mentors and my friends and peers that support me, it it helps. If you saw someone in your position 
freshman year you position. Yeah. What do you think helps? What do you think? Is it like an internal thing? Do they do they? Is it the mentor? Is that the thing that helps? And what does the mentor do? Like, what cocktail of things needs to happen to make a student confident? Definitely, it's a cocktail of things. Luckily, within the Leadership Institute, at least with the diplomacy cohort, we're given a mentor, a mentee. We have that mentor-mentee program. So right off the bat, I had an amazing mentor. Her name's Annie. I love her. She helped me along the way. She was on the e-board for the diplomatic envoy. So right away, I knew that, okay, she knows what I'm capable of. She knows my abilities. And I was given that position. And I would like to think it's partially because of her help seeing something that I couldn't see in myself. Otherwise, I also think that through the work that you do in classes as well, your professors, even though that you might not get a perfect A on a test or an essay, those comments that they have or office hours really reinforces your academic confidence, at least for me. They're here to help you. Their doors are always open. If you're ever struggling or just don't know where to start, I've had some essays where I've I've been given free reign on what to write, and I'm someone that likes to have a prompt. So when you go to office hours, they're very helpful, and that eases my anxiety and imposter syndrome. You kind of just got to go with the flow sometimes, you know? Like, yeah, I have all this anxiety about work, school, balancing those two, balancing a social life, But in the end of the day, it's going to be okay. I saw this quote the other day. I was watching Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) But it was was storming in a town 20 minutes over. And they were like, well, 20 minutes here, it's bright. Like, you just have to get through that fog. That's maybe going to be 20 minutes. Who knows how long it is. But there's always going to be a sunny side. And that's what my mother taught me, too. That, oh, like, you just got to get through those two hours and then you'll be okay. And so that's kind of what I tell myself, like, okay, I'm going to take this test. It's going to last an hour, but after an hour, I'm going to be okay. Like, I'm going to be with my friends. I'm going to be chill. It will be okay. I want to jump back to, I guess, like, the internship with the U.S. Department of State. And you mentioned that you were the only undergrad in your internship program, which is really, really impressive. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to know... Because obviously, this is not the first time that you've interviewed for a thing or like applied to a thing that's hard to get into and got in. Other one that I'm thinking of right now is obviously the diplomacy cohort of the Sina Leadership Institute. What do you think made your application successful? Especially freshman year, when you come into college, yes, you have a resume, but it's just like high school clubs. It's not that much college experience. So I really focused freshman year on my professional development, on my resume skills, school diplomacy, and also the Bucina Leadership Institute. They host professional development workshops, how to interview, how to prepare for an interview, you know, professional work attire, and just resume building is something big that I'm grateful for that we have that opportunity to use. So I just focused on, you know, getting active in clubs and other activities, you know, getting those leadership roles within those clubs that I got and just exemplifying that through various volunteer efforts and also with a letter of recommendation. Luckily, Dean Halpin wrote one for me and I'm very thankful for her for that because that also just 
has a different eye and just different way of looking at a person and they can just further reinforce what your resume says because I never had like a face-to-face interview it was just paper Mm -hmm. on what about me on paper so I was kind of scared about that because I was like oh well like paper only says so much and like you've got to talk face-to-face to someone but I didn't do that so I was worried about that I just think it's, you know, my resume, my leadership background, very much so as well, because it did focus a lot on leadership within my internship. I want to thank you for coming on the show, and I want to leave off with one last question. That is, if you had to say something to yourself at September of that ad drop period, what would you say? (laughs) (sighs) What would I say? Just jump into the deep end. I was afraid I had to make that decision within a day whether or not I was going to accept that internship. And I was frantically like crying on the phone with my mom, not knowing what to do. I was confused. I was conflicted. I didn't, I had that imposter syndrome. I was like, what if I'm not good enough? What if they fire me? <laughs> like it's the government. They can do really whatever they want to me, but just jump in. Don't be afraid of the splash that's going to come after it. Let everything happen. Everything happens for a reason. That's something I really stand by. And that even though that you might not be able to see it right now, everybody around you can see your capabilities. It might take some time for you to realize that with that imposter syndrome. But once you break down those walls, once you jump deep in that pool, you'll see it once you come up for air. On behalf of everyone at the Pasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU, for allowing us to use their facilities, and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership, on Instagram at Pasita Leaders, and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.